today, we've got listener favorite guest Cara back to tell us how she came close to having to shut down her business since she wasn't looking at the right metrics, but she's going to show us how she was not only able to save her company, but grow it. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Are you a six, seven, or eight-figure seller and want to network in a private mastermind group with other experienced sellers? Or maybe you want to take advantage of monthly advanced training sessions with Kevin King, an expert guest. Do you want to come to our quarterly in-person all-day trainings at Helium 10 headquarters? Or do you want the widest access to the Helium 10 set of tools? For all of these things, the Elite program might be for you. For more information on Helium 10 Elite, go to h10.me forward slash elite. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted and unrehearsed, organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And to continue in my series of me being on the other side of the world here in Germany, the next guest that we uh, recorded here in Frankfurt is none other than the amazing Cara. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you, gorgeous one. Thank you for having me. <laughs> this is actually the fourth time, believe it or not. I think, am, on I, the am, I, am I approaching a world record for the you, most you're, interviewed you're person? One of, you're in the select top 5% of people who have made it to four episodes. There so you go. That's I amazing. So I we're not going to go it. too much into her backstory. Mel here prepared some of the numbers where she's on. So if you want to find out her origin story, that's episode 117. She came back on episode 246 and we were talking pandemic stuff. And then most recently back in 2022, she was on episode 378. Um, and that was interesting talking about some of her struggles that she started seeing with her business. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But but more struggles, more struggles. More struggles. Hey, <laughs> we, we keep it real on the podcast. But before serious we get struggles. into the serious stuff, okay. We every time Cara's on the episode, she teaches me a little bit more of British English. <laughs> All right. And and I'm sure it's going to come out like like she, she, the way she talks, she always says stuff that I'm like, what? What, what did you say? So we're all going to learn some more British slang here. My first question is, wait, what is this one phrase? There was a piffling. The, oh, a piffling, that, was, that piffling. was something. Yeah, so uh, we were talking about something. I said, oh, that's just piffling. And piffling is when something's really inconsequential. So it's just like so little. It's like a piffling thing. Okay. And then the other one was put some welly into it. Put some welly into yeah, it. So which is, I suppose, a translation would be put some oomph into it. Okay, put some oomph in it. All right. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm wearing my office, the office t-shirt, Dunder Mifflin here, because, you know, that's one of our exports that we got from 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 Britain is the office, you know, you one did. of our most popular shows. I, I know how it's used, but when people say Bob's your uncle, yeah, Bob's like, your like uncle. where does that come from though? That's the most rid ridiculous phrase I've ever heard. Bob's your uncle. How does that? I, I actually have no clue. This is half the problem. So when I talk, a lot of the time I'll use these phrases and I have no clue. I, have no, I haven't got Scoobies where it came from. And that was one. And I thought maybe that had something to do with Scooby-Doo, mm -hmm. but apparently it doesn't because I Googled it last night and it's got something to do with the Scottish word that's got to do with Scooby or something. So that's the thing is a lot of these things I have. Um, and in fact, uh, what's the other one? There's one. Oh, I'll have, it'll come back to me. But there's one that I um, I use quite a lot. And I actually had to Google it because, and it turned out it was something to do with an Australian runner or something. Oh, Gordon Bennett. That's right. Gordon Bennett. Have you ever heard of that one? I have not. Okay. So Gordon Bennett, when something goes wrong, you, instead of being really rude and, and throwing out an F word, you go, oh, Gordon Bennett. 
And I was like, well, what? who is Gordon Bennett? Why do we say him? And I'm quite interested in these things. And I think he's either he was either an Australian pilot or an Australian runner or something like that. I, I have no clue why we use it, but we do. And I say it quite a lot. Now, the first, you know, like, you know how I roll here. I usually don't like trying to get our topics before. I don't really think about it. But, you know, we went out to dinner last night and and you were talking a little bit about some of your struggles and and how you were taking one aspect of your total business and were kind of like not giving it the attention it needed. And then when you actually did, you were just like, wow, this is in, I'm in such bad shape. Why have to close, shut you know, shut the business. So talk about what you were neglecting, how you put a stop to that uh, neglect and then the the steps that you took to rectify the situation. Okay. So I think a lot of it comes from the fact that when I started my business, um, I had no clue what I was doing. And I suppose a lot of Amazon sellers are like that um, in that you just sort of go, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. So I'm going to start running a business. And um, I used to work in a corporate environment and had budgets and all various other things. But in my own business, I didn't. I just kind of ran a, a lot like the seat in my pants. And um, I think maybe that's just because also my I'm more of an intuitive person versus a data-driven person. Um, whereas I know a lot of Amazon sellers are very data-driven and maybe less intuitive, you know, intuitive, you know, as in like everyone has different skill sets. Sure. Um, and I think what happened was the business grew and grew and grew. And I basically broke my own golden rule, which is that at the end of the day, um, the whole thing about uh, turnover is vanity and profit is sanity. So um, what I was doing is I was just looking at the big numbers and not really focusing on the small numbers. And um, I sort of came to a point in July where I realized that basically what happened was I used to use the software Sage for my accounts and I knew Sage inside and out. And then I changed accountants and they started to use zero and I didn't know it as well. So I, if I'm honest, I should have been more involved, but I just kind of let them like run it. And so when I went to look at my accounts, I was like, oh God, I don't seem to have made very much money. I've got a really quite a good turnover, but I haven't actually made much profit. I'm thinking, Sh like, what am I going to do? Um, so I started looking into it in much more depth. So first of all, what I did, and I would suggest every Amazon seller does this, or to be honest, I, as you know, I don't really talk about Amazon sellers. I talk about businesses mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and brands, but every company that is selling products, you 100% need to really make sure that your profit and loss, your P&L, reflects what you're doing. So mine was literally sales, pretty much, as a big picture. Well, I sell in four countries. I've got uh, four websites, four marketplaces. Um, I've also got retailers and distributors and various other things. So to have all of my sales information in one place was a bit stupid, frankly, because how am I going to get any clarity on what's doing well, what's not doing so well? And pretty much all my costs, like all my Amazon costs were all bunched in one place. And yes, I could have separated them out if I'd done it like by area, but actually I then had an issue with my bookkeeping. And um, so actually it turned out that hadn't been done properly. So I wouldn't have been able to do that. So um, I then separated my costs out. So again, I had like eight different cost centers for, well, not eight different cost centers, sorry, I did uh, four different cost centers, but by country. So I could at least see what I was making in terms of turnover and then see what the costs were for those countries, looking at a lot of detail. And then I started looking, um, like then I went into, and this is a really, really super useful, and I don't think, I certainly don't, haven't, hadn't used it before, um, the SKU economics level of um, reporting, um, where, I mean, obviously it's easy for me because I've got only 13 SKUs, and I know I've spoken to people today, and they're like two and a half thousand, but, you know, you can actually see, although it would be really good if Amazon could do, or actually I don't think Helium 10 does it, do they? Like an ability to export um, SKU, SKU economics reports. 
Oh, I don't know what skew economics means. I oh mean, my we, God, we have right. Re- well, in which case, I'm giving you a whole new <laughs> yes, thing that he intended a thousand I mean, I probably do it, but I just don't call it that. You know, it's like called skew economics. There's, yeah, there's but, no other, right. So basically, I saw it for the first time on the app because I'm quite um, uh, a regular app checker. Okay. So I go in and I have a look and it's in the manage inventory. You go to the skew and then on the top, it's got like, you know, pricing and this, that, the other. And then it says skew economics. And you can You're, you're talking about Seller Central. This is Seller Central. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes, yeah, sorry. Do translate. Um, so I go to Skew Economics and basically you can do it like the last seven days, last 30 days, last six months, last 12 months. And it's the only place I've ever seen where you can literally see what your total sales are, what your net sales are, what your Amazon costs are. And they break it down yeah. to a level of detail where it's literally like you've spent this amount on a deal coupon code, this amount on your sponsored profit by Skew. Okay, yes, okay. Helium 10 has that. We don't call it skew economics, oh, okay, but it's just right. in, in profits, you go to your product performance and then you could look at it at the ASIN level okay. or you could look at the skew level. Okay, you well, know? you need to yeah. show me how to do that then. Okay, we'll do. Okay, we'll do. but I did this myself, mm-hmm. just went in. Sure. Um, and, uh, and then I started transporting all the information over and then I broke it down by country and I started looking and I realized that actually, like in Canada, when you actually put in the cost of my product, excluding shipping in or any other costs I had running a business in Canada, I was pretty much not even breaking even. Mm. Um, and then I started looking at the US and I was like, oh, shit, same thing, not good. Uh, UK, really healthy. Australia, healthy. Um, <clears throat> so, but at the time I was, uh, before I did all the analysis and there was a lot of work to do on it, um, I was literally like, oh my God, I, I think I'm going to just have to shut up shop because I've got an issue with the Chinese um, sellers who I think uh, were impacting before, but they're really kicking off now because obviously my product was launched uh, over 10 years ago. So they know there's no patent on that product. um, Therefore they can go for it. So at the moment they're selling the product that looks like mine. It is not the same, but it looks similar enough to the consumer for $5. Well, it cost me $25 to manufacture the thing. They're selling them for $25 on Amazon and I can't compete. Mm -hmm. Now I don't want to compete. Um, but the issue is, is what it's done. And again, this is where I wasn't paying attention and should have like pulled myself up sooner. I didn't see the huge drop in the sales and therefore my storage costs at 3PL level have gone up hugely. Um, and therefore I'm like got huge, big overheads on the fact that I've got all this stock and it's not selling. And if I sell it at too low a price, then I'm almost not even, I'm not going to break even at all. So um, anyway, I started doing a whole lot of analysis and I literally, I've probably had my head in spreadsheets for close to four months, something like that. But I tell you what, once you've done that sort of work, the clarity you have and the decisions you can make. So for example, I actually decided, normally I'm all about trying to give my customers the most uh, range possible, you know, the widest. And I'm like, excuse my French, fuck that, right? Literally, I'm just going to give them this product, this product, this product, this product. You don't need the variations, right? Because the variations are costing me extra. They often get returned because they maybe buy the wrong one thinking they didn't realize it had a pink trim, you know, and they bought that one. So I'm like, actually, that one I know they'll like. They can have, they either have that one or nothing. And so that's now my more my mm. approach. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I was doing as well is looking more into like the keywords and um, looking more into like making sure that the listing was actually really reflecting the keywords that are out there. So I was doing a lot of like Helium 10 research into that and actually being, uh, you know, updating the listing. So they'd probably been ar- around like one of them particularly had been around for about two or three years. And I probably hadn't really ever done that much work on it. And already I only updated it like middle of December is not my peak season and I can see the sales coming up. Um, And that's from literally looking at, you know, what are the terms that we should be using? um, Because it changes over time. It can change. The same product. Yep. 
but the, the how people find it or searching for it exactly. could change over time. Exactly. Yeah. And also, I mean, I do have a tendency to kind of invent keywords as well. So words that I use in my, and in, uh, in my speech <laughs> and also in my listings. So so I find that things like there are certain keywords that I use in my listings that because people are copying my listings, they're copying my wording and mm -hmm. therefore then that wording is then getting picked up in mm -hmm. like brand mm -hmm. analytics, etc. So it's it's quite it's quite fascinating. Um, but the thing is, is at the end of the day, I think it does, you know, uh, I'm all about the marketing. I'm all about the intuition, but also you have to be about the data as well sure. and the numbers. And, um, you know, there's a difference between taking some a risk and investing in something that your business needs in order to grow versus just sort of sitting there and maybe not paying attention to what you shouldn't really be spending. Yeah. And that's what I was doing. So yeah. bad me, bad me. So, so, you know, instead of having to shut down the whole business, you were able to, you know, maybe shut down some unprofitable SKUs. Yeah, so I, well, I shut down Canada. Shut down, can, you know, marketplaces. Yeah. And, and that might be a scary thing. You know, some people, yeah, but they, they go to extremes. They're like, I gotta just, I'm just gonna quit everything and that's not good. Or they're like, no, like, I have to succeed going. in Canada. Like yeah. I know it can work despite all the numbers. Screw the numbers. You know, I'm going to make this work. You know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta be able to, to not easily give up, but at the same time, understand that you have battles or if you want to win the war, you, you might need to like, and also it doesn't always have see. to be permanent. That's the sure. other thing, right? Sure. So just cause I've shut Canada down for now, doesn't mean I can't come back to Canada, but right now the numbers don't work in terms of getting the product over there, the various other things that are there, the, the pricing structures, etc. the, the, the um, percentage of the particular products that, that will sell and the ones that won't, it, uh, I literally just was like, no, okay, that doesn't make sense. Um, and like you say, there is a bit of ego in there um, sure. in terms of like, oh, well, I sell on, you know, four marketplaces. Well, who cares? If you're not making money, don't sell on any, yeah. you know? So um, I did, and then I actually had a chat. The reason I was going to shut the US down is I had another, a chat with a, uh, another friend of mine who um, she'd exited a business, an eight-figure business, um, and... Um, she was saying that the US is really tough and particularly because like Amazon are doing all this now penalizing you for not having enough inventory oh, yeah, as well yeah. as penalizing you for having too much. And it's like, God, Gordon Bennett, like give us a break, <laughs> right? Seriously, give us a break. And I was like, do you know what? The thing is, is that in my home country, it's a lot easier to manage that sort of thing, which obviously, you know, it, the US is not my home country. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to pay more for storage and 3PLs and all the rest of it, managing that constant fluctuation. So I did the numbers and it is actually cheaper for me to fly it in on a, a sort of just in time basis, for, at least for the short term, because that's the other thing. Sometimes it's not about always doing things for I'm never I'm going I'm to do that forever. It's more let's just have a breather and monitor the costs and then see whether you've got something going on that works. Yeah. Now I, I didn't get to see your presentation um, right now because I was recording some podcasts in here, but I know like one of the things you talk about a lot is, is branding. Mm. And I imagine actually that's one of the reasons why you don't have to shut your business down and why, you know, some people might have been listening right now and, and thought to themselves, wait a minute, if she has very close knockoffs, who are selling for $25 and her price is $90, you know, it's not a matter of, Oh, maybe us is just a little bit more profitable in Canada. You know, like that, that that's a huge gap, you know, right there, but you're obviously not <coughs> fighting on price. And I would imagine one of the main reasons why you're able to succeed is because of your strong brand. hundred percent. Cause we grew in the UK mm -hmm. 30%. 
grew even at that price. You know, it's not like the Chinese sellers are not selling in, got, the, in the I've UK. I've got loads of Chinese sellers mm -hmm, chasing mm -hmm. me in the UK, but the difference is, is that the brand is better known and is better trusted. Um, and therefore, you know, they, they, and also I think there is an element, you know, of, there is an element of um, the fact that I think, you know, whichever country you're based in, you know, people like to support a more local business. Sure. So there is an element of that. So yeah. if you're a US seller in the US, I do think sometimes, you know, you need to make more of that because actually, you know, US citizens are going to want to support a US business. Yeah. So t t talk, talk a little bit more about that. It, it's about, you know, the, all of this can be considered part of your branding. You know, where is it manufactured? You know, like, uh, are you really targeting your, your target avatar? You know, what did you talk about in your presentation today that you can maybe share with the audience uh, about some things that will help them to well, one of the, one of the, win? So one of the biggest things was the fact that I do think a lot of Amazon sellers don't really have a brand. They just have a name yeah. for a, a business or a name for something that they use. And they don't really have a what I'd call a true brand. And they don't um, always... I think sometimes also existing only on Amazon makes you lose perspective on, um, you know, how normal businesses work, like businesses that aren't based on Amazon. Um, and so, you know, a lot of businesses, I mean, I think throughout life, people buy from people. And I think that's so important to remember that even on Amazon, um, one of the reasons why Amazon focuses so heavily on A plus listings and now they're bringing in the premium A plus and all the rest of it, because Amazon knows, right? I, 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 you know, you've known me quite a few years now and I've always banged on about brand. I've always banged on about having a story. Tell your story. It doesn't have to be your story necessarily. It could be the product story. Mm -hmm. But you need to have something that differentiates you. And and even then, I, mean, I was chatting to someone um, at the conference earlier on, and I was saying the thing is that sometimes it's not even the fact that you're, you're selling different products. It's the way that you curate them, right? So it's the collection of products that you've chosen to sell it under your brand name says something. Because, like, if, you ch if I said, right, Bradley, like, we're both going to do kitchenware, I guarantee you that both of us would choose different products. If you said, right, you've got to choose 10 products and, you know, off you go. I would choose 10 different, or we might have some crossover, mm -hmm. but, you know, we might both have a garlic crusher. For example, I used a garlic crusher as an example in my talk about um, how even a garlic crusher can have a story. We call that garlic press. Oh, okay. America. Yeah, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for enlightening. Um, but, you know, but the whole point is, is that, you know, even the, the, the fact that individual people are actually running these businesses means that there will be something individual about that business. So it's finding that, finding that story effectively and finding the why I'm, I'm always really quite fascinated by the whys of business. So um, for example, you look at things like Airbnb and Uber and things like that. And the why was because people didn't want to pay the stupidly high taxi rates. The why was the two guys who did Airbnb was because of the fact they didn't want to, they didn't have enough money to rent a hotel room and they needed somewhere to stay and they couldn't afford all the other options. So they came up with the concept of Airbnb. Um, even things like Ring, you know, like the doorbell um, company, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that originally came, that, that wasn't uh, the story there, is it's a reinvention of something traditional, but they've used technology that's available um, to revolutionize a, an existing product. Um, it could also just be the way in which something is uh, communicated with or handled like with the customers. So making the customers more engaged with the product. So for example, uh, one of the things I'm doing this year is I'm going to be doing a, an app which helps uh, babies sleep through the provision of white noise. Um, and, you know, that's an add-on product, but I 
won't be selling on Amazon, obviously. But the thing is, is it's kind of something where, again, it can become a marketing tool. It can become like something that you can, you know, give to people. Um, you know, there, there's other, I'm all about added value. Like where can you give added value and hopefully try and give added value where it doesn't cost you very much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. One thing I think that helps you uh, expand also to different marketplaces, be it, you know, like when you, you know, you started in UK, then went to US. I know we were talking about the potential of, of UAE. UAE and you were saying, oh yeah, I've got, you know, I've got some customers down there and stuff. So talk to me about that. Like, how can you say something like that? Is that because uh, you you know people from social media who have bought your product or you look at the addresses of where people buy your products, but how can you say, oh yeah, I've got customers there. When I'm ready to launch there, I, I can hit them up and they'll promote it. Like how, okay, how can you do so, that? Okay, uh, so yes, yes, and almost yes. Okay. So um, fundamentally, one of the other things I always bang on about and I banged on about it in my presentation is I do believe that any real brand uh, or product business should have a website. Um, there's two reasons for that. So I'm going to just go off on one tangent okay. slightly. Go ahead. Um, but the, the main reason for it is that, for example, I've been out of stock for two of my best-selling products for the last couple of months because we've had issues getting stuff in from China, blah, 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 and we had delays on the line, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm able to do with my website is take pre-orders. You can't do that on Amazon mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because if you don't have the stock, you can't sell. Literally, that's it. You're done. So I've generated, um, I've lost, my sales are down for the month in comparison to last year on uh, Amazon. And they're up, not as much as they would be, but they're still significant enough money coming in on people who are prepared to hand over their money on the basis that the product will come. You know, we tell them the dates and then we, and then we ship it. Um, and so therefore, the, the benefit of having a website, for example, is I know exactly how much traffic my website gets from the UAE. I can literally mm. see it down mm -hmm. to like the almost like city level because like the, the analytics now on things like Shopify is absolutely fascinating. Um, so I did a breakdown of like all the visitors that come from outside of the UK and, uh, you know, th there's some significant numbers. Um, also, yes, um, the other thing with the UAE is that you have a lot of expats. Now, the one thing that expats lack is family because they're living outside of their home country. Yep. So when they have a baby, they're much more reliant on external sources. So they're much more reliant on things like baby sleep experts. They're much more reliant on, on gadgets and things that can help the baby sleep. Um, and um, yeah, we've got influencers. There's actually a few baby sleep experts starting up in the UAE. And at the moment, I can't, I can't, uh, it's really frustrating. The most frustrating thing for me is when someone says they can't buy my product. Like at a yeah. reasonable price because I don't want to be like charging 25, 30 sure. quid for a courier, which I do and people will pay it, but I don't really want to be. I want them to get it at a price that works for them and in a time span that works for them. So the reason the UAE, I've been sort of thinking about it for many, many, many years. And in fact, I had way back in the day, like 2010, I had a distributor in the UAE um, and I've had retailers in the UAE before. And I think the main issue is that they don't do any marketing. Whereas I'm happy to do the marketing. So we're happy to make contact with the influencers. We're happy to, you know, and the good thing is we get people contacting us um, because it works both ways. And then we can say, oh, actually, yes. And we're selling on, on Amazon. So it gives, it gives us the opportunity to say, yeah, we can help you. Sure. Really interesting. And another thing that I found, or I probably knew this, but you know, my memory is so bad, <laughs> but that you are an uh, unexpected expert in things that have to do with like trademarks and, and, and stuff like that. So what is something that you think the average listener might not know or, or might wow them? Like, wow, I didn't know that. Uh, well, one of the issues I think that people, in fact, I was chatting to someone at dinner last night about it, um, is that quite often uh, people worry about the fact that uh, a particular brand name may have been registered already. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, now, that's not necessarily a problem because, for example, McDonald's Farms. Now, this is a slightly 
like random, uh, not realistic example, but the principle's the same. So you've got McDonald's restaurants and then you've got McDonald's farm. Now, we know obviously McDonald's restaurants probably have got their own farm, but if they didn't, then there's absolutely no reason why you can't trademark McDonald's as a farm because it's a different category. Mm-hmm. And those categories are actually quite important. So, for example, if you've got a rubber duck company and you wanted to call it, you can't call it rubber ducks, it's too generic. But say you wanted to call it sort of yellow ducky or something like that, right? And then somebody else was doing, um, you know, you're making toys and they're called yellow ducky. And then someone wanted to do a swimwear brand called yellow ducky. Well, actually, you could have the two existing like you wouldn't necessarily want to this is the other thing sometimes it's not advantageous uh to actually have a similar brand uh, name to somebody who's already established but if they're in a completely different like industry so if you had a yellow ducky that was a truck company right and you're doing yellow ducky toys uh, no one's going to confuse the two like you know it's really not going to be like a case of someone's going to go to the yellow ducky truck company and think oh my goodness where are my ducks you know (laughs) or toys or whatever (laughs) so um so there is that and there's also um the other thing is i think is that you know people don't really know how to search for that sort of thing and it's not that hard um the USPTO, um, the, the US Patent and Trademark mm-hmm. Office, um, has actually got some really good search functionality. There's also the uh, WIPO, which is World Internet, because I'm always suggesting the other thing you need to do is you need to make sure that um, your trademark isn't taken in another country. So we have it quite a lot. I tend to talk about it in reverse, which is you might have a brand in the UK um, and then actually someone may have already filed for that trademark in the US. So there's no point really building up a brand in the US if in the UK, sorry, if you're then hoping to go to the US, because it's going to be too difficult, especially if they're in a similar sort of environment. So it is really, and that works both ways. So I would say even in the US, you know, if you're thinking of expanding to Europe or to the UK or Australia or whatever, um, do do a bit of like due diligence search online because you will be able to find it and make sure you use a VPN to go looking through on um, Google in local countries. Because the other thing also you don't necessarily know um, is um, there was one brand uh, that I, I know of in the baby industry. And if you Google it, it actually means it's in Dutch it actually means the bits of shit that hang off the back of a um of a of a, of a sheep's bottom okay okay so <laughs> I'm not I'm not being funny but I don't want that as, yeah, a, yeah, as yeah. a brand yeah. name they have and they it doesn't seem to impact on them at all but the thing is is you know you do want to see whether there's any weird colloquialisms sure. or weird like slang and things like that plus the other thing is people get very like oh my goodness what am I going to do what am I going to do about like trademarking internationally and there is something called the Madrid Protocol and the Madrid Protocol, once you've actually trademarked in a country that follows the Madrid Protocol, which, by the way, includes America and China, EU, Australia, all the all the big players, all the, most of the places you would want to trademark. And um, once your trademark has been accepted, and obviously this is why the due diligence is really important to make sure that you haven't got like McDonald's restaurants anywhere else. Um, is you can use the Madrid Protocol to register um, in those other countries within a six-month period of your trademark being approved Mm. in your home country. And it's a lot less and you don't need to use lawyers because otherwise you'd have to literally go out to each country and then trademark it. So I always say to people, sort of think, think big. Um, in terms of and think safe. So, for example, it's super important to have a trademark in China because uh, trade in China it is a first. I think it's a first to file. Uh, it is. It's first to file. Whereas um, in other countries it's first to use. I think the US is first to use. So the problem is is that you could have been using a trademark um, in, for example, I think in the UK we're first to file. I think in the US it's first to use. So somebody would not be able to probably register my trademark unless you know because I would 
it probably know about it and therefore it would come up and I'd say, well, hang on a minute, I've been trading in the US for this amount of time. Yeah. And I also, I think I had to also do the same in Canada. I had to actually show how long I'd been trading for. But in the UK, you don't have to be trading at all. So if I wanted to, I could literally take Helium 10 and I could trademark that in the UK. If you haven't, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because no one else is using it, there's no reason why it wouldn't be. And, you know, so if by thinking with using the Madrid protocol, uh, especially in the early days of like when you're just doing your trademark, it, it's expensive. But the thing is, is if you think you're going to go eight, well, if you're producing in China, you should definitely do it. Um, and if you think you're going to go into the US or into the UK or EU, it's a, actually quite a cost effective way of getting your trademark. So educated me about a lot of uh, stuff there. Now, before we get into your last strategy, a couple of questions I've been asking guests. So you've obviously been using Helium 10 for a while. And I remember from the very first time I met you, you're there. There's just a lot, you know, a lot of stuff that you don't know how to do. But about from the stuff that you do know how to do and that you do use, what is your favorite tool in Helium 10 that you feel gives you the most value in? And why does it give you value? It's the one, it's a Cerebro where you go in and look at the keywords. Yeah, you put the ASIN in and get yes. the keywords. Yes, yes. yes. So yes. I love that one. Do you know uh, what language Cerebro is? Oh, it's, is it Greek? No, it's, it might be, have some Greek in it, but it's oh, that's uh, so, the, the, the literal translation or the literal the spelling brain, isn't it? Is, is brain. Yeah, yeah. for Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, cool. Um, So yeah, so that's definitely one of my favorites. And then I also use, I, I get the uh, marketplace um, alerts and things like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I particularly like, like every time I change my own or if a price changes, I love that coming in because um, Amazon quite often starts selling my products in other places um, and it's useful to know what they're charging when they're doing it. Um, and also it's a sanity check for me. Like when I, uh, for example, I the other day, big time, I, I'm launching a new product and I'm making it a variation of another product and I accidentally put on the old product the new title. So I was accidentally selling the new product before it had launched because the old product was still live. So it was only when I got an email from Helium 10 saying my title had changed and I was like, Sh <laughs> so I ran into the back of like Seller Central. Oh my God. I think it was only about 20 orders. And then I'm like trying to change the title, trying to change the title, trying to change the title. Got it changed finally. Um, and, um, and that was, uh, that was, yeah, that was a bit of a lifesaver as well. All right. So alerts is and Cerebro. Um, wish list for something that maybe, maybe, you do, maybe we do it and you just don't realize it or something that you think that we don't have that would really make your life easier? Well, the skew economics, I'm going to be looking for that. Okay. So I don't know, we have to have a chat afterwards mm -hmm. and we'll have a look. Because the problem is with the Amazon Seller Central version is that it's not exportable. Ah, so I uh -huh. literally had to sit there and like I was doing screenshots and then moving and copying like a picture into an Excel spreadsheet. You know, for you with 13 SKUs, maybe not, not so bad, bad like, but imagine somebody like, else. I, yeah, I just yeah, like, yeah. I'm thinking, thinking, feeling the pain. But also yeah. if I wanted to do regular updates, like where am I now? Um, I don't want to have to go through that every single time. So I will be very interested to see because skew economics, honestly, I'm a bit obsessed with it at the moment because it's it's so useful in, in being really granular. Like literally like that skew has spent X amount of money on sponsored um, ads. Yeah. That bit has generated that amount of profit and it tells you all the returns, like, you know, everything. Um, and so it, it really gave me some, like I was saying, some really good knowledge into what the business was actually doing versus what I thought it was doing. Okay. All right. Your last uh, 30, 60, I know for you, uh, it might be hours. hard. So maybe 90, 90 second uh, tip of the day could be about trademarks, could be about branding, could be about uh, the best pubs to go to in Britain. I mean, any, <laughs> any possible uh, subject that you are an expert on. Okay. I'm not going to go down the pubs route. Okay. okay. Um, but no, I think my, my top tip is have a website outside of Amazon, have some way where you can sell because we are all at the mercy of Amazon and all that needs to happen is we've got some new regulations going into the EU that's going to impact on all the US 
sellers, which is new uh, labelling laws. And if your product is not compliant, Amazon will shut your listing down on December the 13th, 2024. Literally. So um, it's absolutely vital that you have another way to sell. Um, that's obviously in the EU, but like this, that could happen in any market. Sure, we just sure. don't know what's going to happen. And the thing is, uh, you know, if you have all your eggs in Amazon's basket, then you're not really giving yourself an opportunity to do anything other than be at the mercy of Amazon. And, you know, whilst I do love Amazon, obviously, at the same time, I, I don't think it's healthy to be that involved with any one person at all. So it is, it's really good to be able to sort of spread the risk a little bit. And, and as I say, then that gives you the opportunity to do more things off Amazon, which then actually tend to drive more traffic. So my website increased by 30% last year. Amazon increased by 30% because I do encourage my customers to go to Amazon if that's what they want to do. But, and then there's also a customer who doesn't want to buy on Amazon because they don't like the concept, they don't believe in it. It's a, and there is, there, there is a, sure, there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a definite movement. A lot of people, unfortunately, they don't understand how Amazon works and they think everything that's being sold on Amazon is being sold by Amazon. And I often have to explain to them, like, hang on a minute, I'm selling on Amazon. So by you not shopping on Amazon, you're actually not helping me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they don't get it. So um, anyway, have a website and make sure you've got a really good, strong, like, about us, like, page, which sort of tells people why you're doing this. Awesome, awesome. Well, Cara, thank you so much. I have no doubt that you're going to be uh, make it to uh, five episodes oh, yeah. next year. Uh, you'll have some uh, good stories <laughs> and teach us some new vocabulary uh, words as well. Um, you know, the, one of the one of the things I like uh, about you is that you're not you're not here to sell something. And not, not, not that people nothing who bad about yeah, that. nothing bad. You know, I have influencers and people who have service providers and they, they push their website. Oh, great. You know, that's why part of the reason why we're all here. But, you know, you're just like helping people, you I know, you speak and, and, and you have no agenda. So we're not going to say, Hey, go to Cara Sayer.com. And I there's no, Cara Sayer. <laughs> com, but I have nothing, on <laughs> nothing <there. laughs> but I'm sure people would like to hear from you. So like, uh, do you know where the next uh, speaking, are you speaking at billion dollar seller summit or going no, there? I'm, or not, anything? I'm not allowed to, cause my daughter's doing her big exams this year. Ah, so I've so had no inter- billion dollar summit here, this year. So no international travel until after July. Uh, but I'm going to the European seller conference in Prague. Cause okay. I'm allowed, I'm That's allowed in March, to stay with it. Yeah. In March 13th to the 16th, I think it is. Okay. Um, and I'm not speaking, but I'm, I'm just, I'm going to go along as a, uh, a participant. And I'm really looking forward to it, actually, because I've never been before. So um, I love that conference. I spoke at it last year. Shivali is going this year. I won't be going this year, but make sure to go there if you guys want to go to Prague. It's in March. It's a beautiful city as well. Yes. Oh, and, and there's really great, amazing pizza place called Johnny's Pizza. Uh, I'll let you know where sure where it's at. Yeah, sure, yeah, really great. Me and Shivali can go out and there you go. pizza. All right. Well, Cara, thank you so much for joining us and coming out here from uh, across the pond. Indeed. A bit of a bumpy landing it was yesterday, but yes. That was it. a little rough here in, in Frankfurt. <laughs> I, uh, kept me a little awake there. But anyways, thank you so much for coming. And I can't wait uh, next year to, to see what you've been up to. All right. Take care.